Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Well, hi there again, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Gary Neville podcast. Gary, you've been at a couple of games. Let's mm. talk about the one that we've been at today. Uh, it's finished nil-nil. You said in commentary it didn't feel like a, a nil-nil. We had a, a red card incident as well. Mm. Your thoughts on Leeds against Arsenal? Well, I didn't feel like it was a nil-nil because I think Leeds entertain us. They play really good football and I think in, they create lots of chances. Was it 24 shots they had on? 25, I think, yeah. 25 yeah. shots on goal. I'm not sure too many of them were on target, but they had some really good chances. Hit the woodwork three times and you never feel like you're watching a boring game. Certain teams, I always thought, Tottenham under Pochettino, I think Liverpool under Klopp, you watch obviously Leeds under Bielsa, you always feel like you're getting a really good game of football because they take the game to the opposition and it means that the opposition have to do something and I felt it was a, a good game to watch. I enjoyed the first half more, I think we both enjoyed the first well, half. it was 11 against 11, yeah. I think, yeah. And you, you, you need, uh, 11 v 10 is never great, you, you, you need something to happen to obviously... Uh, I mean, Arsenal was still a threat. They, they still had two or three moments, but it just takes something away from the game and the comp competitive element. And Arsenal's ability to think that they had to go and win the game was less when they went to 10 men, and that meant that the game just became a little bit more dour. And Leeds, I think the beauty of Leeds is that man-to-man -man all over the pitch uh, going for it. And we lose that, obviously, when Arsenal just sat back in at the edge of their own box playing as a more compact defence. It was, in the end, with 10 and a decent point for Arsenal, but it's only four points from five games, I think, and a contrast to their North London rivals where you were yesterday. And it looked to me, I, I wasn't there with you, but it looked to me like a, a complete repeat of the game in February, mm. which also finished 2-0 for Tottenham against Manchester City. It was a classic performance. I mean, I think you expected that City were going to dominate the ball and in the first half. City played well. But you felt that Tottenham were managing the game quite well. It was what they planned to do. You know, you're watching Jose Mourinho and for a few years now, we say that Mourinho's lost that sort of what would be a big game winning mentality. But yesterday it had that feel about it, just watching it. And in the second half, they grew Spurs. Um, and it was almost as if the game plan before the game was played out to absolute perfection and it felt like a mature performance I thought Eric Dyer did really well at centre-back I thought Hoiberg and Sissoko in midfield did really well in, in those left and right channels where De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva were playing Harry Kane just sitting a little bit deeper meant that uh, Laporte and Diaz at times didn't know whether when to go in with him when not to go in with him and they were a little bit I thought they were, they were struggling mentally with how to deal with Hurricane and physically as the game wore on. And it was just a really good performance and uh, Jose Mourinho will be really proud. And I have to say that for a period under Jose Mourinho, I didn't feel as though Spurs had an identity. It almost looked like a team in transition out of a really good style of play under Pochettino into a style that was different and that wasn't being taken on board by the players. I will be that critical. I thought it was a case of they don't, they're not having this. And yesterday I said at one point during the game, I watched Harry Kane's body language in the early Mourinho era and thought, not sure this is going to work. I have to say, I'm, I'm changing my mind dramatically because I'm now watching a really brilliant Harry Kane that's playing differently and Mourinho is getting the most out of him in a different position. He's adding more to his game and the team look really up for it and they fancy the challenge. Well, they fancied the challenge for the title. I mean, mm. 60 years it would be if they were to win it, 60 years since only the second time they won it. And what they do have is uh, an attack worthy of being potential champions. Whether the rest of the team is as good, you're about to tell me now. Yeah, I think that's the, the, that's the worry, that triangle of goalkeeper and centre-backs, whether that will be enough. I have to say that 
Doherty at right back and Reguilon was br uh, brilliant yesterday, I felt, at left back. They've got Davis in support there. They've got Aurier who did really well yesterday and looked less emotional in his defending, less rash. So you say, can the centre-backs and goalkeeper outperform where they ordinarily would be or can they be given the protection maybe by Hoiberg in front of them uh, and others so I still don't think they'll win the league I don't think they're anywhere near Liverpool personally but it's a strange season we're seeing strange things happen and it's not quite as we think it's going to be Liverpool have got injuries that mean they're weaker and they're going to drop points more than they did last season they are already we should say we're doing this podcast before Liverpool we play Leicester we and we don't know what's going to happen in that um, but we do know what happened to Manchester City and if it is a strange season it's a strange season for them isn't it yeah and they haven't been the same, obviously, for well, some 18 months now. And I'm trying to, you're trying to put your finger on it. Yes, course company's gone, and course Aguero's been injured, and David Silva, who glues the team together. They're world-class players, though, so they're losing that. But then I would have thought the younger players that they brought in, they would have been... They've still got control of the game, so they've still got the possession. So you say, what's missing? Yeah, there's the final bit, maybe that little bit of clinical finishing that Aguero brings. The biggest thing for me is in transition. Um, they're not as quick in transition when they give the ball away and winning it back and teams are, a bit, are more comfortable in playing passes through them and taking that risk you always run the ball back against it and then they were all over you like a rash and they'd win it back off you again and they'd be through you or they just sustain attacks and it's it's less than it was before and something's not the same Edison doesn't look as comfortable in goal he's making the mistakes that he wasn't maybe a couple of years ago there seems to be a lot more reliance upon De Bruyne whereas a few a couple of years ago it seemed that it was just shared around um, yeah, just a number of things that just mean that they're not quite right. And it looks like Pep's still searching for the right combinations. Again, a couple of years ago, you could name the team. It was Sané, Sterling, Aguero. It was De Bruyne, Silva and Fernandino. It was company. And I've, and I've forgot the back four. But you, know, it, it, you could tell what was going to happen each game. And now I, I, I don't quite get that same feeling that the continuity is there and the fluidity is there. Just a connect it to England, really, in the international break. Phil Foden, who made plenty of headlines, yes, mm. it was against an ageing Iceland team, and they were down to 10 men yeah. at the time, but what he did and the way that he did it, and we've seen enough of him in Manchester City's games in the Premier League and the Champions League, is it time for maybe Guardiola to look at and say, he needs a run of games? I think so. I think so. It does feel like that. Mm. Um, I remember one of the City coaching staff three years ago saying if we don't make a player out of him we might as well all pack in and that was a time where City were obviously winning youth cups and hadn't really brought the emerging young talent through into the first team and he is the one and he's, he's an exceptional talent exceptional player and you just think to yourself now he probably needs to be given his head um, it's it's he plays on that right wing he sometimes plays in midfield, he gets moved around and sometimes that happens as a young player, you have to be adaptable and you get played in different positions. But it feels to me like now he needs to go into the team in one position, stay there and get a run of games. Um, there is enough games to go around, but it feels like he does need to be believed in and given that run. I think he's someone who, to be fair, you look at the rest of them and none of them are really magnificent. I think Bernardo Silva's less than he was um, a year or so ago. Gundogan in midfield, he's doing okay, but you wouldn't say that he's, again, exceptional or at the level whereby he, 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 he's, not, he's worthy of keeping Foden out. So for me, yeah, I think you're right, Marty, he does deserve that chance. You've been a serial winner. You've been in a dressing room of serial winners. Does there come a point when you've had a lot of success 
and I guess Alec Ferguson would recognise this and he moved players on, didn't he? Mm. But whether Manchester City are in that situation or are they just in transition because of the ones you've, that have gone, the companies and the David Silvers, etc.? I think it's... Yeah, I don't think... I think it's maybe a little bit of both. I don't think the recruitment has been as good as Liverpool's in the last two years. Um, I think that's been one of the key things that City in losing company... Uh, they tried to get Harry Maguire, didn't they? And obviously Manchester United paid more, whether that would have been something that would have solved it for them. But you know, they've now got Diaz, they've now got Laporte. But I, I'm not going to be too critical of them yesterday, but they did. They, they are good defenders. And I do think if they keep those two together, they'll have a good season, City. But Harry Kane did mess them around. He, did, he, he, he fancied it against them and they struggled. And just something's not right with City and the recruitment's maybe not been as sharp as it has been before. And... The one area I think that we've all said it in this last six months, I'm really surprised they haven't invested in a centre forward, a world class centre forward that would make the difference for them because Aguero does pick up injuries. Manchester United getting more penalties than Harlequins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was sat in my hotel room in London last night racing back from the Tottenham game <laughs> to, uh, to the hotel room to watch it and I, I, I find it, I, I couldn't believe that that penalty was overturned. I mean, obviously, as a United fan, you know, you, you, you take what you can, but I, I couldn't believe it. If I was West Brom, I was, I'd be absolutely devastated. There was no way on earth that that could be overturned. It was a penalty. Um, and can you explain it? No, no. And this is where VAR... I think we but, felt... But do you I, think that was VAR? That, 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 to me, was one where I wouldn't blame he, he VAR. He gave the penalty. He gave the penalty yeah. and he actually just said, go and have a look at it again. And I don't know why he was asked to go and look at it again. Mm. And then we've seen before that once referees have been asked to go and look at things... They very it, rarely they very stick rarely with, stick with yeah, yeah, but yeah. that was one where Mike Dean, experienced referee, no, I'm comfortable with that. There was a clear kick on the just below the niche in. It, to me, was a, was a, was a stonewall penalty. I don't think mm. any United fan that I've spoken to already... <laughs> we're, all, we're all laughing. Mm. It, it's, it's hideous, really, that decision for, for West Brom. I mean, they can feel really hard done to... Little West Brom, as Slaven Bilic called them. It, 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 I, I would be annoyed beyond belief if I was Slaven Bilic, and he was. I mean, he had every right to be fuming with that decision. He really did. And United did get the... Uh, it was right. The benefit the, the, of it. Well, they got they they got that modern day handball, which I think yep. you and I as broadcasters we have to accept. You were very open about the Joe Gomez one a couple of weeks ago in the yep. in the City Liverpool game, uh, and then Sam Johnston is developing into a fine young goalkeeper away from Old Trafford, where he started his career, was well off the line. Those are those are laws, aren't they? That one's a fact. The, the mm. we th I thought it would be a I thought it would be a penalty the handball, and, and obviously. You're right, he, he jumps forward, doesn't he? I think mm. the delay in Fernandez's run is a talking point and maybe mm. goalkeepers are thinking, well, he's going to hit it and all of a sudden that jump and there's that delay and all of a sudden the goalkeeper's just moving and getting sort of brought forward. We've had it in the past, the actual dummy, going back to John Aldridge and yeah. days like that, that got ironed Banned, out yeah. and wasn't allowed. Yeah. Should it now be a question of looking at the law saying, well, you've got to have a straight run-up. You, you know, you can't be kidding. The goalkeeper can't do too much of kidding of his own now. He's stuck on his line. Um, and the, the goalkeeper should have some sort of advantage handed back yeah. with this hop, skip and a jump approach. You well, know? Paul Pogba's got that sort of strange shuffle, hasn't mm. he? That sort of that odd shuffle that he does before it. And Fernandes has got this technique. I mean, look, what I would say is that it's not a shock to goalkeepers. That no. are, You know, it's not as if he's something that, you know, should be catching them out. We know that... 
They've got all the footage. They've got all the analysis. They know what he does. There's enough examples of it. Yeah, there's enough examples of it. So he knows. They know what he does, and I don't think yeah. you can sort of maybe you know. I don't feel like he's. I don't feel like it's a dark art that we're seeing from Fernandez. It's his technique. You know, Ronaldo used to have that sort of that run up where he used to stand there behind it. Johnny Wilkinson in rugby had this, and you just know Fernandez. It's his style, and mm. it's not something that isn't predictable. And goalkeepers are watching all of the footage that we watch, so I don't feel too sorry for goalkeepers on it. But I did feel sorry, for, a little bit sorry for West West Brom on that. Uh, on that um, that penalty, even as a United fan, I mean, it was just it was a hideous decision. That just a, a couple of other points. Chelsea, mm. where Chelsea be Tottenham next Sunday live yeah. on Sky Sports Super Sunday 4:30 kickoff. Um, not a cruise against Newcastle. It can never be away from home, even without fans. But they they look like the the, the potential in their attack is is giving them. Uh, a good shout, really, this season. Yeah, and I think if you're a if you're a team like Newcastle, I think you want to play the top six teams away, from, well, at home after internationals when they've all been travelling. That's the time when you really want to try and catch um, with the early kickoff. With the early kickoff as well. Yeah. So I think for Chelsea to go up there and do what they did is a, is a really good win for them. And like I say, we're we're both excited about next Sunday the Chelsea mm. Tottenham game. Um, it's an interesting season. We thought Chelsea would be interesting at the start of the season because they invested big, young and quite exciting as well. It looks like Frank Lampard's now starting to get it right. He was searching in the first few weeks of the season for what was his best system, where he could fit everybody in. There were certain players weren't fit in that period. Now they're all sort of getting fit and he started to work it out and they're looking pretty strong and... Is it a season whereby Chelsea, Frank Lampard, Jose Mourinho could be up against each other in a title race? I mean, we'd never have thought it. We thought Liverpool, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp uh, would... Uh, sorry, Pep Guardiola at City and Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, it would just be a two-horse race. And I have to say that having watched City in the first couple of weeks of the season, I thought Liverpool would run away with it. But not now, not with the Van Dijk injury. Uh, that's the one that I think is a game-changer, that, in terms of just... It, it exposes them a lot more. Uh, last question on injuries, and I, I guess, plucking a phrase really, and I do feel this that that Premier League footballers are key workers at the moment because of the joy they're giving to people in lockdown, many millions of people who are not having great lives at the moment, losing maybe their jobs and stuck at home, and that football is some therapy for them, and that. The difficulties that are being complained about all the time, something that should be taken in their stride. Obviously, that's not a very good analogy if you can't stride when you're injured, but you know what I'm saying, that the overtime that footballers are putting in is a sacrifice that ought to be made for the good of the country. Um, I, I know it leaves managers short of options and whatever and whatever, but that we are living in unprecedented times and that football should play its part and is playing its part. And less complaining about it would be better received around the country. At Martin, I've got very, very little sort of empathy, really. I mean, I've been a football player for 20 years and I, I like to think I still think like a player. But honestly, at this moment in time, a hamstring injury really is not something to even consider about of two or three players. I'm losing players through injury. You've got 25 players in your squad. You've spent 1.24 billion in the transfer window. You've got squads that are, you know, built... To, to play 50, 60 games a season and cope with injuries. It's, it's to me, at this moment in time, we have three months of lockdown. If you think about that three months, or two, two and a half months of lockdown that we had where we couldn't go out of our houses earlier in the year. Without football. Without football. And you think, that, you know, if at that point you just said, look, 
We're going to get back and we might pick up a few injuries. Would you take it? Absolutely. So there should be no complaining from the managers, in my opinion. And to be fair, that's not me sitting here as an old retired player saying in my day we'd have got through it, we'd have been more robust and we'd have just got on with it. No, it's not. It's saying that there is a global pandemic. There are hundreds of thousands of people who've lost their lives globally. There are people losing their jobs. And the last thing a football manager or a football player can do at this moment in time is complain. We are extremely fortunate and privileged. And actually, they should just be going out there and doing everything that they can, which they do, and not get... What's there to complain about? What Other than the fact that we want fans back in the stadium because we want to be able to connect the game again with the people who make it, to be fair, the best game in the, in the world, our fans in these stadiums. I mean... The, the games we've seen here, Leeds, Arsenal, Leeds versus Manchester City, would have been absolute firecrackers of games um, and would have added so much. But the idea that we complain or that we should listen to complaints about, oh, they need more substitutions or they need, they're getting a little bit more injury on you know, the welfare of players, I get it, I get it. But come on, at least show some sort of what would be connection to what's happening in, 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 in the world out there at this moment in time. And the idea that, you know, players may pick up an injury or a, a, a muscle injury more than they ordinarily would do is not something that should be something that comes into even anybody's mantra at the end of the game. I know there's been the age-old argument of timings of kickoffs after European games. I don't think that's a pandemic issue. That's actually, to be fair, something that's been mentioned going back 20 years, that teams that play in Europe on a Wednesday night away from home that arrive back on a Thursday morning at four o'clock shouldn't probably play at 12 o'clock on a Saturday. I get that. But that's scheduling. That's nothing to do with this pandemic. That's nothing to do with um, extra subs. That's just a scheduling issue that we've always known about, that managers have always complained about. And Jurgen Klopp has, has, has mentioned it. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has mentioned it and others have. But again, this was happening 15, 20 years ago. I remember after a European game in Turkey, one... Uh, midweek going to Sunderland away at 12 o'clock on a lunchtime on a Saturday and we got beat. And I remember thinking I felt like I, f it, I didn't feel the same. I felt a little bit less than my best, should I say. So it's not a new issue. It isn't a new issue, this one. But we accept the benefits of that as football players or have accepted the benefits of that over the last 20 years. And to me, it's time to get on with it and just keep playing football and doing the things that we do. Well said, as always. Thanks a Thank lot, you. Gary. Thank you.